Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. LinkedIn Jobs uses the knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with people who fit your role best. Post a job today at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, October 25th, and we're revisiting the Wii Saga. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got fellow IF host Nick Seipel with me in studio. Nick, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much, you know. Not too much in the news this week. Uh, you know, happy to talk about WeWork today. That's probably been the most fun story to follow the past couple months. I mean, probably in years, right? I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? I haven't. You know, not with a company about to go public. The the closest I can come with the parallels that we've seen and the massive dip that we've seen in the valuation for this company is what happened to Blue Apron shortly after going public. And the difference between what we're seeing with We and what we saw with Blue Apron was who is really bearing the brunt of that huge decline in valuation. But we talked about WeWork, I think, back in mid-August. A lot has happened since then. We're going to revisit exactly what's going on with that story, talk about where we left things, what's happened since, the ramifications, and also some of the investing lessons. Where exactly did we leave things, Nick? Yeah, so August 14th, WeWork filed its paperwork to go public, and that's really when I mean, the proverbial S hit the F. Um, but uh, yeah, so August 14th, WeWork filed his paperwork to go public. August 16th, Dylan and I talked about it on this show. So I'm sure that really started this whole uh, this whole saga. But just a couple weeks later, September 5th, after folks had gotten the chance to look through the filing, see really how difficult the profit profitability picture was for the company, uh, you really started to see the valuation start to dive. So September 5th, WeWork started considering cutting its IPO valuation by 50%. Four days later, SoftBank asked for the IPO to be put on hold. Four days after that, WeWork announced corporate governance changes to reduce Adam Newman's authority. Uh, a lot of concerns about you know his control over the company. Less than two weeks after that, he's gone as CEO. A day after that, they're selling off businesses like uh, some of the businesses they'd bought, some augmented reality companies. September 30th, so less than two months after the IPO uh, was originally filed, IPO was postponed indefinitely. And then this week, is the latest uh, in the saga where SoftBank announced it would take control of WeWork and Adam Newman would leave the board. Yeah, it escalated pretty quickly, huh? <laughs> yeah, the, the internet moves fast. And I think if you're trying to put yourself back in the shoes of where you might have been in mid September, this was around the same time that all of the headlines about Antonio Brown were coming out and all of the dysfunction at uh, Raiders Camp and then uh, ultimately his time with the Patriots, which was short lived. And it felt like there were kind of parallel stories there of just it didn't matter. Every single day, you check the news, and there was something about Antonio Brown, and there was something about the Wee Company. You couldn't escape it. Sure, and I think with both of them, uh, there was a lot of obviously public following these stories. A lot of uh, fiery details, or a lot of controversial details, came to light. But as the story continued on, uh, what we didn't know over and over again was worse than what we what we knew uh, to that time. So we started off saying, okay, Adam Newman has too much control over this company. He sold uh, the Wii IP for $5 million. That looks a little funny. And then we hear about him flying in private jets with bricks of marijuana uh, on him, uh, talking about being the world's first trillionaire, talking about controlling this company for 300 years, talking about changing the U.S. Constitution so he can run for President of the United States as an Israeli uh, uh, citizen or someone who born there. So, yeah, really escalated quickly, uh, and we got this deal this week that has uh, kind of finally bailed out the company. So CNBC was reporting that without this cash infusion that came in this week, the company was going to run out of cash. Uh, 
The new valuation of the company is around $8 billion, down from $37 billion with the IPO. SoftBank pumping in $5 billion in loans, $1.5 billion in equity investments, and then buying another billion of stock uh, from existing investors. And then Newman got a pretty good package here. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the number that you're going to see with most headlines is a $1.7 billion package, which is true. The sticker figure is true, but you kind of need to dive into it to actually understand what's there. So you have uh, an $185 million four year consulting fee. So he is essentially available, I guess, on retainer uh, for the new leadership at We to consult and kind of give him a sense of where he might be going with the business where he in charge. Uh, he has a $500 million credit from SoftBank, which should replace existing bank credit lines. We can get into that in a second. And then he has the ability to share uh, to sell $1 billion in shares. So it's not like he's just being handed $1.7 billion in cash. There's some complexity to it. But it does look like a particularly big number when you consider the whole company at this point is worth about $8 billion. Yeah, this is one of those things where when you owe the bank $100, it's your problem. When you owe the bank $100 million, it's their problem. And I think this this was a perfect example of that. Uh, SoftBank, through the Vision Fund, owned a significant amount uh, of WeWork shares. JP Morgan, another company that had a significant amount of exposure uh, to WeWork, that was also in the works uh, to try to, to bail out this company. Uh, so yeah, I mean, some may argue that SoftBank is pumping good money after bad here. I think I would be on on the side of that, but you know, it's tough uh, when you've pumped in. I think it's over over ten billion dollars in capital for now a company valued at eight billion dollars. So it, it's tough to say I was wrong, and you know, Masasan is no exception there. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the aftermath of all of this, what it means for we, what it means for SoftBank, and some of the lessons for everyday investors like me, Nick, and you guys listening at home. Before we do, though, a quick word from our friends over at LinkedIn. Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hiring with everything else it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. LinkedIn Jobs is a game changer for the hiring process. Everyone I know is on LinkedIn. I'm guessing it's the same for our listeners out there. It is the go-to place for all things professional. Now, stop for a minute and think about harnessing that power and using it to reach the right candidates. In fact, over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn and grow as professionals, and discover new job opportunities. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of the right people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability, LinkedIn does the legwork to match you with the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And more than 35 million job seekers visit LinkedIn jobs every month. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So, Nick, in looking at the aftermath here, I think there's it's tempting to do a winners-losers type situation. It might be a little early to determine uh, who wins and who loses. You know, with, with the package that Newman received, um, he he is clearly the one who's coming out the the rosiest financially, at least. Probably a lot of reputational damage done to him, and I'm sure you know, it was a big ego hit for him to no longer be in control of this business that he co-founded and I think really identified with in a concrete way. Why don't we talk a little bit about the business side of this specifically, though? First, what what is next for We at this point? Sure. So, so We has been uh, the new chairman of the board is SoftBank CEO Marcelo Clary. 
uh, has been very involved in the turnaround effort. Had a had spoken to employees, sent letters out. I think he had a at a Q and A with them live recently. Um, what he has said is, we really need to right size the business, bring costs down. Uh, they are going to start doing a significant number of layoffs. Financial Times recently reported they're going to lay off about four thousand people. So for a staff of around fifteen thousand, that's about a third of your global workforce uh, that's getting laid off. Uh, I imagine they're going to need to get rid of some underperforming locations and uh, and uh, bring costs in those ways as well. But uh, you actually read through that Q and A with, with with employees. What were your takeaways from that uh, from Clare's discussion there? Yeah, and to be clear, that was not a public Q and A. It was one that uh, I guess an employee had recorded and then kicked over to I think it was Recode um, who who did the reporting there and posted a transcript of it. So yeah, the the focus is going to be. Uh, financial discipline for sure, and and it seems to me like they're going to be doing a lot to kind of get rid of distractions. You know, kind of move away from all of these auxiliary we operations and focus really on we work, which is where the money is being made. Yeah, I remember when we did the S one show, we were saying you know they have we live, they have we grow. These are non material things. The the thing that's probably going to actually make money for this business down the road is we work, if anything. So the focus is going to be there. For folks that know the name Clare but don't exactly know why they know the name, former CEO of Sprint, uh, COO of SoftBank, he is now going to be the executive chairman of this company. Um, and Sprint has done quite well over you know the last decade or so, and he was a pretty big part of that. Um, so I think if you're looking for someone that is not Adam Newman, he is a very good person to have uh, dealing with management and kind of leading the charge. It's going to be a very different management style, um, but they they don't seem to be ramping down some of the rhetoric of growth and stability. You know, in that big breakout, that Q and A, he said that the plan is to double in the next nine months, which I was a little surprised by because you're talking about laying off four thousand people. You're talking about all of the things that you know the austerity measures you need to go through uh, as you're dealing with a big valuation hit and a cash crunch. The idea of doubling in nine months seems a little crazy to me. Yeah, but my interpretation when I when I heard this was like, what else is the guy going to say? Okay, he's talking to all the employees of a company which has just had its valuation reduced eighty plus percent in a matter of a couple months. Employees who had expected probably many of them to become you know millionaires very shortly after that IPO. Now over ninety percent of employee stock options are underwater. And you know, if this, they need to retain the employ- their quality employees that are that are still around, and offering uh, you know some vision into you know these options are going to be worth something at some point in time, leaves some hope there. Uh, I, I can't imagine uh, it's happy days around the office there at WeWork, and I can't imagine there aren't a lot of folks out there looking for new opportunities uh, outside the company. Yeah, we, we talked about the cash crunch a little bit before, and there were times where there were reports coming out that they were not going to be making it until. Through mid-November, based on the cash they currently had, that the company was delaying layoffs because they did not have the cash on hand to pay severance. Um, and with SoftBank's banking, it seems like there's some financial stability here. You know, at this point, they are about 18.5 billion dollars in on the Wee company when you mix the capital they've made available via equity and some of the other paths. So that's a big chunk of change to be committing. And there's a mix there of stuff that came from SoftBank's vision fund, but also stuff that came from SoftBank corporate. And so I imagine with that, you know, the cash crunch is less severe than it used to be. Hopefully the company can go back to just focusing on getting things done, growing the business in a sustainable and profitable way. But that was another one of the things that Clare addressed. Yeah. So I think I think 
the losers here. Obviously, Newman being able to get out of his stock, was able to liquidate some of his stock earlier in the year, even before all this IPO things happened. I, he said uh, in front of employees maybe a month or so back that they had navigated the private markets to perfection. And I think for his for his part, I think that's absolutely true. Um, the other loser here, obviously, Vision Fund investors. Uh, you know, even with this SoftBank bailout from the from the SoftBank balance sheet, you know, their Vision Fund uh, stock is going to have to be written down significantly. So that means you know the Saudi Arabia private investment fund, a mul- you know, multi- lot of lots of Middle Eastern private investment funds are big losers here. You know, whether that's a good or bad thing, uh, you know. Let's up to uh, interpretation. Yeah, so I think it's about nine billion dollars of the hundred billion dollar vision fund. So you know that that's a sizable chunk, and if you have to write that down, you know, uh, for them to have put more money in in equity than the company's currently worth, obviously tells you what that stake is going to look like on their books. Um, yeah, can I jump in on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, we we've seen uh, just yesterday Wall Street Journal reporting SoftBank. Uh, in the aftermath of this WeWork saga, has maybe gotten a little bit of the, the profitability religion uh, behind them. There's been reports that Masa Sun has told staffers to push companies to generate cash flow now, despite you know, in contravention to what had been uh, the push of the Vision Fund over time. To we're going all in on growth. We want to dominate these markets. We're going to give you more money than you asked for, so you can capture as much market as you can. They're really backing off that, and I think maybe this is true across the entire market. A move away from a big focus. Focus on growth at the expense of profitability towards really getting, uh, you know, showing cash flows in the near term, and this is particularly important uh, for SoftBank and the Vision Fund because they've got a lot of these businesses that are, that are in trouble. They've got Wag, the dog walking company, uh, that is in trouble. They, uh, Fair.com, which is a car leasing company, laid off is 40% of its staff uh, last week. So these are issues that uh, you know are. Pertinent to investors across the board, but particularly pertinent to the Vision Fund, which owns a lot of these money losing startups that are in high growth stage. Yeah, I think it's revisiting um, exactly what the dynamic has been between SoftBank and WeWork throughout this process, because I think Newman has been the person that a lot of people have blamed for what has happened. Where you know, if you see the valuation of a business get kneecapped and become you know one sixth or one seventh of what it was in a matter of Two months, then you're going to blame management. And in reality, I think what Newman was doing was a lot of the things that SoftBank wanted him to do. Um, CNBC put together this great graphic looking at WeWork's valuation over time, and from 2015 uh, to 2019, they went from about a $10 billion company to just near a $50 billion company. Um, so they, going back to 2015, were worth more than they're currently worth. Now. From 2016 forward, there was not a funding round that SoftBank wasn't a part of. And so SoftBank, throughout the process, was escalating this company from being a 10 to a 15 to a 20 to a $48 billion business. And that really reflects the investing style of Masayoshi Son. Yeah, exactly. To your point, the management has gotten a lot of the blame here. But SoftBank has enabled this behavior throughout their time as investors. There's no doubt that SoftBank had some manner of representation on the board at WeWork. There's no doubt that as a condition of the investment that the Vision Fund made in WeWork, they received the right to examine the books of the company. Uh, Whether they actually exercised that right at any point in time is up for question. But it does not seem that Prudent investing principles were followed in making some of these investments uh, by the company, and you know, 
SoftBank's Vision Fund investors are bearing the loss as a result. So, to kick things off with the lessons, I'm going to actually pull a quote from Marcelo Clare and his open Q&A uh, with WeWork employees, and that's, the world has changed, growth stories don't sell anymore. I, I think that kind of gets to that point that you were just making, where you know so much of the focus over the last three to four years uh, maybe even longer, maybe ten years uh, in the venture capital world, where Masayoshi Son has really operated, has been TAM. You know, let's build out that total addressable market. Let's build out scale. We'll figure out how to make the money later once we have that leverage of being big, being able to really swing around in the the markets. And you know, I mean, we has done that in some ways uh, with some of the regional markets that they're in, but. This business didn't scale the way that a lot of software businesses do, where you're willing to take those short-term losses because the TAM number ultimately makes you profitable down the road. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think looking forward, the growth stories aren't going to sell the way that they have in the past. I think investors are going to be a lot more focused on profitability. The fact that the Vision Fund is already starting to operate that way tells you a lot. Yeah, exactly. The sentiment ha- has certainly changed. I, I will take a little bit of. A little bit of contention with that statement, just just in the fact that I don't think it's that growth stories don't sell, but I think it's that businesses that have economic characteristics that don't have runaway scale, like we talked about when we when we talked about this company, you know, a month or two ago, that uh, in a software business I can make one piece of software and then I can sell infinite licenses of that one piece of software. So the scalability and growth falls directly to the bottom line. But you look at a company like WeWork that is linking quote unquote tech. With these old line businesses like real estate, I mean, you've got, uh, yeah, with old line businesses like real estate, it really just doesn't scale in the same way. If I want to show growth, I need to buy more buildings, and that costs money. Um, you can't just infinitely print more copies of your service. And I think people are becoming aware of the fact that just because a company has some exposure to tech and how it operates as business does not mean that the economic characteristics, the underlying economic characteristics of the business, share those same profitability characteristics across the entire Sector. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're 100 right. And um, to to kind of dig into that a little bit more, I think there needs to be a path to profitability for anything that you're investing in. And it's not that that needs to be something that will be realized in the next year or two years. You know, you can be buying businesses that are losing money. I own a lot of companies that are not profitable at the moment, um, but I also own a lot of companies that have really great gross margins, and if they decide to start slowing down on their marketing spend, will become profitable fairly soon. The dynamics were a little different with We. Um, I'm reminded a little bit of the underpants gnomes from South Park. <laughs> you know, when when I think about the business models that we've seen uh, and some companies that have gone public recently, and for folks that don't watch the show, you know, it's basically uh, you know a various stages of operating a business, and then just profit appears. You know, that's that's the mo of the underpants gnomes. Uh, and so you can't have a question mark with stage two. You you need to know what stage two is and how you get to that profitability. And if you don't, then I'm not really sure that you have an investable business. Yeah, the other South Park thing that comes to mind is uh, is the from that old Redskins episode. It's startup, startup, cash in, sell out, bro down. Right. That's that's <laughs> the that's the uh, seems to have been the Adam Newman approach. Uh, you know, talk about he was surfing in uh, the Maldives as they were as they were preparing uh, the S one for this. Um, one other area, I, I guess, that we haven't mentioned, but I, I think is important to think about, is just the commercial real estate space in general. How that's going to be affected by this downturn in WeWork. Obviously, WeWork really, you know, tightening down the hatches when it comes to expenses. 
laying off a number of employees, likely to be getting rid of some underperforming locations, one would expect. As we talked about in the first show a couple months back, WeWork is the largest commercial real estate tenant in New York and London. They're a significant tenant in a lot of cities across the country. As they've been building out, uh, you know, growing, building out their locations, it's certain that a number of, of their landlords have provided some assistance in kind of making those renovations and building those things out. There are a number of landlords that are, you know, WeWork is a significant tenant. And, uh, there are going to be trickle-down effects. As we mentioned, that WeWork has had these mismatched liabilities versus revenues. Those liabilities that WeWork has to its landlords, arguably many of them are not going to be paid. And those folks are going to be left with buildings that are not occupied, uh, that they still have to manage the carrying costs for. We're already seeing one example of that uh, today, the Lord & Taylor Building in New York City, which was set to become uh, WeWork's headquarters. And I, I believe they were going to be the only tenant in that building. Uh, WeWork has announced that you know we're not going to be able to afford uh, to to operate in that in that building, and so now the folks that had exposure to that piece of real estate no longer have a tenant in this significant property. Another fun little fact there: Adam Newman had a had a stake in that building, which I am sure has been divested to the Ark Investment Fund at uh, WeWork. So now WeWork has to deal with that uh, ownership issue now that their primary tenant is gone. So that's another thing to to think about with this uh, this downturn. I think one last kind of investing lesson from all of this as we wrap is this is probably one of the best examples you can come up with of a situation that highlights how important it is to be your own advocate as an investor and to really understand what you're buying and why you're buying it. Because if you look at all of the big institutions that you would expect to be kind of giving you a stamp of approval on a deal, you know, JP Morgan was willing to ship WeWork out to investors at $47 billion. The New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ were actively competing for business and they wanted to be listing we shares all of these places where you'd say oh like they they've done the due diligence they're not looking out for you they're looking to move this deal along you know JP Morgan it seems had distanced itself quite a bit from putting any of its own capital any more of its own capital um, into we or exposing itself any more to we than it needed to uh, but they were happy to ship that deal along to the average investor and then let it deal out in the public markets so remind yourself that just because you have these big book runners on some of these deals doesn't mean it's actually a great deal yeah I mean at the end of the day a lot of these folks are in it for the commissions and to, to profit from their business I think one anecdote that you heard about with this with this story was the competition between the New York Stock Exchange and Nasdaq for who was going to list WeWork, and they were competing about who could who could give Adam Newman the most concessions so he would list on their platform I, I think what it ended up shaking out as is is the Nasdaq was changing some policies in their cafeteria in order to, in order to get him uh, to get him to to list on that platform. But yeah, the big takeaway is you need to read these filings and understand what's going on. They don't put these out there, you know, out of charity. They put they put them out there because they are required to by law. Um, when this filing was sent out there, they hoped you didn't read this filing and they hoped that you bought this stock at forty seven billion dollars in valuation. And here's the thing: it was never worth forty seven billion ever. We talked earlier about WeWork bidding against themselves. There was no point in time. Anywhere along this spectrum, that WeWork's earnings justified anywhere near a $47 billion valuation. And if you didn't do your due diligence reading these required regulatory filings, you would have been stuck holding the bag. Thankfully, in this instance, you know, the process worked, those disclosures worked, people read the documents, people realized what they were being selling was not worth what it was being offered at, and you know, they've had to re-rate the shares. But it just goes to show why you need to do your own due diligence. Don't trust, you know. 
big banks or the company to, to protect your self-interest, you have to protect your own. With uh, Tesla and we on back-to-back shows with Nick Seipel, I guess listeners have been treated to some hot takes uh, this week on Industry Focus. To wrap things up, I want to see if our producer, Austin Morgan, has any hot takes for what will happen in Game 3 tonight of the World Series. And you know, As I'm asking this question, Matt Greer, huge Houston Astros fan, also happens to be behind the booth. So we might get some particularly spicy takes. He's flashing that Astros shirt right in Austin's face. Austin's wearing his Nats jersey. Let's see what they have to say. Uh, I'm thinking the way the Nats are hitting and all the the drama going on in the Astros front office. I think there was some bad energy in the the Astros. Clubhouse. I'm thinking. I'm feeling a sweep. Ooh. I'm feeling a sweep. <laughs> Mac, and you got. I do. I do think the Nats will take it in DC this weekend. Mac, you got anything to say to that? You can always dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll think, be watching uh, the game. I Annabelle know. Austin. Sanchez tonight. I'm thinking a strong seven innings. Maybe give up a run or two, but cranky garbage. So here we go. I would love to see it. I'm a big fan of parades. So you know, if there's one in DC, that'd be pretty fun. I'll be watching the game, Nick. You'll be watching the game? I'll be watching for sure. Hopefully, Grinky maintains his current level of performance. Poor. <laughs> All right, listeners, keep the gnats in your thoughts. And if you have any questions for the show, reach out over at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. That's going to do it for today's episode. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. Go Nats. For Nick Seipel, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening in full on. From the open pit, I start as I filthy. Believers are lit. Flashing hot leather. Swing is steaming bats. We made it to the ship. Baseball. Let me hear you say, go Nats, go Nats. Let me see the baby shark clap. Go Nats, go Nats. Let me see the baby shark clap. DC, I'm out in that Carolina. So good, every ticket is sold. The roof, roof, roof for the whole team. Let's win this ring. Let me hear y'all scream. Go nuts, go nuts.